Chip Project. I'm going to do Lesson 3.4. I skipped Lesson 3.3 purposely. I'm going to do uh, Lesson 3.4, and so I'm going to share that with you and um, finish up uh, this Discipleship Project lessons that we've been going through. And so tonight we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. You've heard me talked about the kingdom of God before, but man, God, God's word is so rich that there's so many different um, revelation and so many different angles to what the word of God can show us and teach us and instruct us. And I feel like this was a good lesson for us to get an understanding or an angle on what God wants us to understand about the kingdom of God. And so I have a lot of texts for you where Bible study, I'm probably not going to get finished, but I'll do as the best that I can to give you as much as um, the Lord will have you to have in this lesson. So we're going to read a few passages of scriptures. Um, we'll read um, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. We're going to read Matthew 13, 24 through 30. We'll read Matthew 13, 1 through 3. And we'll read Matthew 13, verse 36. Good to see everybody tonight. Well, I'm glad, glad that you, good to see me. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah, you guys got caught me off guard. No. And, you know, I got issues with, um, I'm good, giving out the good to see you and good this and good that. And when, the, when it get, come back my way, I'm tongue-tied. Pray for me on that. Philippians 2, verse 9 says, Wherefore God also had highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay? Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man which sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, did not thou sow good seed in the field? Question mark. From whence then had it tares? He said unto them, An enemy had done this. The servants said unto him, Will thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nah, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1 through 3. The same day when Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, 
and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. I'll stop right there. Matthew chapter 13, verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came unto him into the house saying, declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. A lot of things have transpired there. And if you didn't do a good job reading this week, the scriptures, you just got a lot of scriptures today. And so that might have made up for a few days this week, right? Um, Lesson big idea today. Jesus is the king where he reigns. Therefore, we must allow him to reign in our lives. Jesus is the king where he reigns. Therefore, we must allow him to reign in our life. Not having a clue what Jesus is talking about is not bad. You ever read the Bible and you're not sure what it's saying it's nothing wrong with that so if you read and you're saying i don't quite understand this it's nothing wrong with that doesn't mean you don't, you're not a christian doesn't mean that you uh you know are not a bible scholar doesn't mean any of that it just means you don't understand there are there, there are disciples and believers that read the scriptures all the time that don't understand so Not having a clue as to what he's talking about is not bad. Provided you do something about it. So when you read and you're not really understanding and then you shut the Bible up and put it down like, see, I don't even know about this Christianity thing. I can't. This stuff is just too much. I don't understand that. Remember what we talked about on Sunday. It's a will thing. Can't get over that message. You're going to have to will your way through this. Jesus taught us, not my will, but thine will. So while Jesus was here, he willed himself to do the will of the Father. And there's going to be some times where we don't feel like it. I can't tell you how many times I pick up the scripture to read. And I'm just like. You know what I learned today? Just this little thing today. Just studying, preparing for Bible study tonight. As I'm studying today, um, the first time I read through the scriptures, I'm just like, I don't feel like this. I don't feel like being bothered with this. (laughs) Don't look at me like I'm strange. I'm in flesh just like you. I'm walking in flesh just like you. And so I read it one time. I'm just like, Lord. Read it again. Wasn't until the third time I read it that I'm like, all right, let's go. It's on now. And what I realized just from my studying today is it is not going to work without fully engross yourself or fully engage yourself in the word of God in your. It won't work if you try to serve God without just fully just saying, here I go, Lord. I just it just came like a, this big revelation today. Because I'm reading through it, I'm reading through it, I'm like, I don't feel like this. 
And I kept reading. And on the third try of reading, all of a sudden now, the whole thing just started to overtake me. And I'm like, man, God, is this what your stuff is all about? That if we're going to get into it, if it don't overtake us, it won't mean much to us. That is the that is the truth. And so when you don't feel like it, you have to keep on going. The good thing about it is this is God's word and it is so powerful that if you keep on going at it and going at it, sooner or later it consumes you and now you become alive and awoke and like, okay, something is happening here now. And it took me a minute before I can say something is happening here now. So it's important to realize that just like I did today and other times, you're going to read God's word and don't feel like it and and probably not getting it, not understanding it. And usually we don't get it and don't understand it because we really didn't feel like doing it. We were just doing our duty. Maybe that's what happened to me today. I was reading out of duty. Got to go teach Bible study tonight. And God was like, uh-uh, uh-uh, mm-mm. you can't be effective just doing it out of duty. I said, all right, Jesus. And so I had to let this thing consume me in order to get it going. And so I understand now that we're not just going to be able to just nibble at God's stuff and be okay. And you'll see as we go along what I'm talking about, how serious it is. The great majority of the crowd, however, was content in their ignorance and left without asking any questions. But his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. So here's what he's saying. While he had the multitude, and he was teaching on the the, the, the Beatitudes, he taught some parables, he taught some stuff, and people heard him, and they were like, okay. Then when it was all said and done, Jesus got out of the ship, came back to shore and went back to the house where he was originally before he started teaching to the multitude. He was teaching to a smaller group. And when he went into the house, when he got out of the ship and left, nobody pulled his coattail and says, what did that mean? And so they just went their way. But his disciples followed him into the house and says, all right, maybe they didn't want to get embarrassed. Because if they would have said, what did that mean in front of the multitudes? Probably the multitudes would have been like, you're his disciples. Why wouldn't you know what that means? Just a little revelation. And so they waited till all the crowd had started backing away and walking away. And they followed Jesus into the house. Then they says, so tell us about what the whole deal was about the tear. And so here is what we need to take from that whole thing going on right there. You need to find out more about what you don't know when you start to read the word. If you just settle on, well, okay, and just kind of let it fly by and eventually you'll come, it will come back around. It's not what it is. It might be the very thing that you're going to need to know in another hour, in two hours, in a day. I feel, and this is just my opinion, I feel like um, we have to be careful. You know, I used to hear... As I like to tell you, um, the, the preachers before me, pastors before me talk about the significance in being in church. And I agree with them, but I always feel like I'm just I'm talking to you tonight. But I always feel like I don't want to keep beating people in the head and tell them they need to be in church. I, my big issue that is going to be my issue that I'm trying my best to find a, a, a real middle ground to it is trying to get you to know you need to do something without trying to tell you you need to do something. 
Because I don't want anybody walking away feeling like, oh, he's just trying to tell us this. And I, that's not what I want. I want you seeing it for yourself and start doing it. Because when someone tell you something, you will do it sometimes just out of respect, but not because you feel it in your heart. Remember what we read about Sunday. And so you, when nobody's looking, you will not do it. Because you didn't start doing it because you wanted to. You started doing it because you were told to. So I try my best to give you clear instructions according to the word of God and hope you say, man, I need to do this. But I've told, I've been told that sometimes you just got to tell people straight. So I'll find some middle ground in there. But Jesus went into the house and so they asked him, tell us about it. Tell us about it. We have to want to know more. Every For every Bible study that I've taught and people that give themselves to the Lord, I don't take credit for it. All I was was a willing and available vessel. That person who was the student of that Bible study, they had to want it. You have to want this for this to work. Being in church don't mean you're going to go to heaven and everything is going to go well for you. You have to want it. So Jesus explained the story to them. The field is the world and there are two sowing seeds in the world. Jesus and the devil. Jesus' seed are the people who believe and grow in the Lord and obey him as Lord. Can I tell you the secret to consistent Christian living? Jesus must be Lord of your life. Jesus is normally God in our life. Jesus is normally provider in our life. Jesus is normally blesser in our life. Jesus is normally the sacrificial lamb in our life. We can go on and on about all the good stuff that Jesus is to us, and that won't get you to heaven. What will get us to heaven is Jesus being Lord of our life. You know what that means? Ruler. Ruler. Jesus being Lord of your life meaning he is ruler. And most of us don't want Jesus to be ruler. We want him to be the sacrificial lamb. We want him to be Jehovah Jireh. We want him to be the one that fixes things that's broken. We want him to be the one that will just comfort us when we need comforting. We want him to be the one that will heal us when we need healing. We need him to do all these things. And yes, he will do all of those. But we still can miss out on a relationship with him and miss out on heaven because he's not Lord of our life. So we need Jesus to be Lord. So Jesus, the seed that he is raising up is the people that will believe him, will grow in him and obey him as Lord. The devil's seed are people who reject Jesus, obey themselves, and dwell in the kingdom of the devil. Both seeds face a common destiny. The coming harvest or the end of the world and last judgment. Which seed are you? Or are you going to make Jesus Lord of your life or just... The sacrificial lamb or just provider or the blesser or the one that takes care of you. 
or God. You know, God means I'll watch over you and protect you and all that stuff. You know, that that's the kind of stuff when, when God says I'll be their God, it means, listen, here I am. I'll, I'll be your protector. I'll, I'll be your God. I'll, I'll keep you. I'll watch over you. You know, all of that stuff, all of that stuff you can still have. But if you don't make him Lord in your life, you're going to miss out. Mm-hmm. After Jesus finished telling his parable and several other parables, the crowd started to leave. He did not beg them to stay, nor did he ask, hey, everybody, don't you want to know the explanation? No, he simply returned to the house where he had been earlier. Only those who were hungry, somebody say hungry, only those who were hungry for the word followed him back. To the house and ask him to explain it. If we are not hungry, if we don't want to know, we will not seek to know and God will just leave us there because he understands if you don't want it and he give it to you, it won't mean much to you. One of the main reasons Jesus taught in the parables was to provoke a response from the spiritually hungry. A parable was a story about something the audience would be familiar with, a particular circumstance, event, or a thing in order to help them come to understand something they were unfamiliar with. The kingdom of God. So you taught a lot about the kingdom of God because people didn't understand the kingdom of God. The meaning of each parable was generally not obvious on the surface. What was crucial was a hearer's willingness or desire to understand and ask for clarification. The greatest thing you could ever do in this Bible study is when I'm finished or even while I'm teaching, you stop me and says, I don't understand that. Can you explain that? Don't ask me that just to ask me though. <laughs> ask me because you, 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 you desire to know. You want to figure out how to make this work in your life. Ask me because you want to be a better Christian. You want to be a real child of God. Ask me because you want to know. Because you know I'm trying to make heaven my home and to have a real bona fide relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we need to ask. We need to seek. We need to have that desire. When coming across a difficult Bible passage, do you feel the need to search out that true meaning of the passage? Why or why not? Why do you think some of those in Jesus' audience were not concerned with what Jesus meant when he spoke in parables. Why did some hear it? Why did they gather? Why did they waste their time to go to where Jesus was? Right? He was at the shore. He's in the boat. And everybody else is on, this, on the shore side, the, the, the seashore. And he's speaking to them about the word of God. And they're all sitting and listening. And they sat and listened and didn't understand but never asked any question. Sounds familiar? Do we come to church a lot of times and, 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 and we hear some things, might not quite understand it. We hear some things, make some sense, but we get up and leave like we didn't hear it. 
In this parable, Jesus contrasts wheat and tares as the two possible responses to the kingdom of God. The wheat represented those who chose to live in the present kingdom and therefore would enjoy the full glory of the future kingdom when the Lord came again. The tares represented those who rejected the present kingdom and therefore would be cast out from it forever. Are you wheat or are you tares? The fundamental principle we can draw from this parable then is we must decide who will be Lord of our lives and what kingdom will we serve in. Who will be Lord in your life and what kingdom will you serve in? Can I say this? If I'm, if I'm in the church, we all know New Year coming. Everybody like to make New Year's resolution. But listen to me. If you are not serving in the church, you need to find something to do in the church. Because here's the story. Your loyalty to God will be different when you're serving God than if you're not serving God. We're not realizing this is about God. A lot of man has messed up how God's kingdom operate. And so it makes people a little discouraged or it makes people a little gun shy from doing things because they they've cast a shadow over the, 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 the kingdom of God to make people feel like I'm not doing that for that church. I'm not doing that for that pastor. And people have messed up. So now folks are coming in church and that's how they're seeing it. And really and truly, when we come into the church and we become a part of God's kingdom, whatever we're doing, we're doing for God. We're not doing it for anybody else. We have to really get that revelation that whatsoever we do, it can't be for people to recognize you. It has to be because you're trying to please God and be in partnership with him. Listen to this. You will not last in church if you try to serve in a church and you're not really doing it for God. You will be found out. Every time you get your feelings hurt and walk away, you wasn't doing it for God. Because when you stop and realize how good God is to you and what he has for you in the future, what he's doing for you now and how much he loves you, nobody can chase me away from pleasing my God if that's what I'm doing it for. I'm vacuuming the floor and you dropping paper on the floor and I get upset. I'm not getting upset. I'm just going to come to you and say, listen, I'm trying to keep the floor clean. You want to help me with it? But you're not going to, I'm not going to the past and talk about, listen, man, these people around here, they're disrespectful. I'm, I'm, I'm vacuuming the floor and they dropping stuff. Down. Don't they see these kids eating beef patties and all the crumbs on the floor being, and they see me. No, I just deal with it in a nice way because I'm not vacuuming the floor for nobody but Jesus. That's why I'm vacuuming the floor. So you're not getting me off my game. I'm, I'm not telling you something I didn't live. My wife is my witness. My two oldest kids is my witness. Everything I did before I became pastor, I did it unto the Lord. Some people looked at me like I was crazy. 
But it didn't matter because I wasn't doing it for no other reason. And I realized some people's view was skewed because they knew people that came and went, they were doing stuff in the church, but they were doing it for the wrong reasons. And they have seen that over the years. Yeah, he's trying to do that so he can become a preacher. Yeah, he's trying to do that so he can be recognized. Yeah, he's trying to do that. They saw that. And so when I came along, I'm sure they say, here we go with another one, trying to be the man, trying to be recognized. It never bothered me. And I never stopped. Because, man, I just want to please Jesus. That's all matters to me. And so everything I try to do, I try to please Jesus. Will it be Jesus and his or us and ours? So will you serve the kingdom of God or will you serve your kingdom? (laughs) There's a little running joke among preachers. Um, We always say, you know, some preachers, they have their kingdom right here, and then they have Jesus' kingdom over here, and they're trying to do both kingdoms. Let me do a little work over here and make sure Jesus' kingdom fine, but let me take care of my kingdom over here too. You can't serve two kingdoms. The Bible says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. You only can serve one. If everything depends on us living in the kingdom of God, what does the phrase kingdom of God actually means. The idea of the kingdom of God is the main theme of Jesus's ministry. Matthew weaves this theme throughout the gospel. The beginning of God's kingdom, Jesus's kingdom, it began with him preaching the kingdom. The end of his preaching end with him preaching the kingdom. In the middle of him teaching and preaching, he taught about the kingdom. So the kingdom is important. The last word Jesus spoke as he ended his ministry concerned the kingdom. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And in between, Jesus repeatedly taught about the kingdom. See, Matthew, 20, Matthew 4, 23, Matthew 5 and 3, Matthew 6 and 10, Matthew 6, 33, Matthew 10 and 7, the parables of Matthew. 12, Matthew 24, 14, the kingdom of God is fundamental to the teaching of the Lord. The Jews had high expectation of the kingdom of God. They thought the kingdom of God was a physical building, some great temple that they were going to be able to go in, something physical and tangible. But the kingdom of God is not physical and tangible. The kingdom of God is where Jesus Christ is Lord, where he reigns. So now when you call him king, what does that mean to you? I can say that right now. Lord, you are my king. You know why he's my king? Because he reigns and rule over me. We're not comfortable with that kind of stuff. Can you say that? Lord, you are my king. Lord, you are my Lord. Oh, man, I tell him all the time. I, I even get straight to the point. I want somebody to hear me saying and let them say, man, that dude crazy. I said, Lord, you are my ruler and my master. <laughs> yeah, you got me, Mama Allen. You down with me, right? I'll give them to you before you leave. Somebody make sure they give it to her. But you got to be comfortable in saying, Jesus, you are my master. Jesus, you are my ruler. Jesus, you are my king. You got to be comfortable with that. I'm okay with that. Listen. If you treat your kids good, I'm sure they don't have no problems with you reigning over them. If you treat them good. 
Well, that's how I feel about my God. He treat me so good. It's so easy to call him Lord. It's so easy to call him master. It's so easy to say, do what you want. I will do what you want me to do. It's easy to do that because he's, he's just so extraordinary and so wonderful and so great. It's easy to say that. When we hear the word kingdom, we must always remember it's where Jesus rules. In short, the kingdom of God is wherever people confess Jesus as Lord and more importantly, lives as though Jesus is Lord. Are you living like Jesus is Lord? You gotta ask yourself that question. When you live like Jesus is Lord, it means you don't do what you want to do. Remember what I said Sunday that listen, when we, when we do things through our emotions and through our feelings, they're going to usually lead us wrong. We have to do things out of righteousness, truth, and facts. We're making decisions out of emotions. We have to stop and say, what is truth? What is facts? What is righteousness? And when I ask myself that, that's how I make my decisions. If I make the decisions any other way, it's probably going to not be a good decision because I made it out of my feelings when my feelings is, or my emotions is supposed to just let me know what's, what I'm feeling. How does something make me feel? Don't make decisions out of your feelings. I know it's easier said than done. I'm not belittling that it's a challenge. But what I'm saying is I'm giving you the principle of how you're supposed to make decisions that won't destroy you. When you make a decision because it's right, it's righteous, that won't destroy you. When you make a decision because it's truth, the Bible says Jesus is the way, the truth. So you're making a decision on Jesus when you make it on truth. And then when you make a decision on facts, you normally don't go wrong. That's how you make decisions. That's for me. You and everybody else, if we want to be successful. But if we make the decision because this is just how I feel, we're going to have to clean some stuff up a little later on. Oh, yeah, we will have to clean some stuff up a little later on. Obviously, the kingdom of God is not fully present right now because there's a kingdom to come. As with other aspects of our salvation, there is the now and the not yet. There is the present manifestation of the kingdom and a future complete manifestation of the kingdom when the Lord Jesus comes again. The kingdom has begun in the hearts of individuals and the church and will ultimately encompass the entire world. Remember, the kingdom is where God reigns. And so if he's not reigning, here is what's funny about this. And I'm probably jumping ahead of my lesson. Here is the deal. God is giving us the choice To let him rule in our life right now. Take a drink on that. Because you know where I'm going. He is saying, I won't put your arms behind your back and twist it. I am telling you, you need to let me be Lord over your life now. You make that decision and I will be Lord. I will gladly be Lord over your life. But you have to make that decision. I'm giving you that opportunity now for you to make the decision. You can say, I hear you, God, but I'm still rolling on my own. At some point in time, he is going to reign in this entire world. And you will have to, have to, have to, 
have to, no choice, will have to do what he's making you do. This is what the scripture means. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Some of us will bow gladly and say, yes, sir, we made it. And some of us going to bow in wailing and gnashing of teeth saying, if I would have just did it before now. But the bottom line is he's given us the liberty to make the choice and say, go ahead, let me be Lord. Not because. I need anybody to make me feel boosted up like I'm some special. I know who I am. I'm just trying to let you know how much I love you. And I don't want you to damage and ruin yourself. If you don't let me be Lord, you're going to ruin your life. That's the only reason why he wants to be Lord in our life. He don't want us to ruin our life. And then we're going to be at the place where we're just, oh God, if I knew. He said, just let me be Lord right now. But you make that decision. That's where we are right now. Now, you don't make the decision now. The day is coming where you won't have a choice, but I'm still going to be Lord of everything. That's heavy right there. There's a day coming where I'm just going to do it and no one will have a choice because I'm the creator. I'm the master. I, I took care of all of this stuff before you came on the scene. And I gave you free will to do it, but you didn't want to do it. So guess what? Watch me how I rule now. In the end. The sovereignty of God will be completely manifested in the universe and the eternal peace and joy will be ours in the presence of our king. So there is a kingdom now and there is a kingdom to come. There is a crop of wheat now in the field of the Lord and there is a coming harvest where the wheat will be gathered into his barn. If there's a kingdom to come, What do you think we have to do to make sure we are ready to enter it? So, God is so fair. There's a kingdom to come, heaven. We told you that's what we're striving for. But what he is so good about, he always gives you practice. He allows you to practice for what's getting ready to come. I'm probably not even going to finish this, but here, here is a story. This is heavy right here. If you can't allow God to be Lord in your life right now, what you're saying is, I'm not allowing you to rule my life, God. That's what you're saying right now, if you don't submit to God. Now, ask yourself this question. If in heaven... He is ruling and everything has to be the way he says. How will you get there now in the way you're operating? You got to think about that. If this is why I say he give us practice run. Because our ultimate is one day we're going to be raptured to heaven and forever be with him. Right. That's where we're striving to go is to heaven. Okay, well, we know in heaven he is in complete command, complete control. So, if we don't give him complete, give him complete control right now, how would we ever survive in heaven? Practice run, practice run, practice run. He is saying, try it now. Let me rule now. Let me be king now. Let me reign in your life now. Because when I come back for the church and I rapture you, you won't ever, you'll be fine in heaven. 
But if you can't do that now, you won't have a need to go to heaven because you can't let him do it now. There's no way you're going to let him do it then. So you won't have a place in heaven. Y'all quiet. These are just some truth. What prepares us to enter the future kingdom is fully participating in the present kingdom now. This is why it's important to, to get, to, to get in the kingdom and to be a, be a part of the church and get involved because you have to start practicing and participating now, being involved. And then when the time comes where the rapture takes place, it's no big deal. It's just common practice. It's like I always say, God never called anybody that's not doing something already. You want to sit back and do nothing, he will never call you. He don't call lazy people. Go back and look and see when he called the disciples, what were they doing? What were their profession? God don't call lazy people. That's why most of the times, if one day you become an evangelist or a pastor or a missionary, whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, an evangelist, whoever you become, by the time you start doing that and somebody officially label you evangelist, officially label you missionary, officially label you bishop or whatever they want to call you, you were doing it already. That's how it works. So if we feel like God really did call us into his kingdom, he wants to save us, but we're sitting around doing nothing, then you, you, you can't say God called you into the kingdom because he didn't call you in to do nothing. He has a special plan for your life. So when he called you in, that's just the beginning. It's the beginning. And so now he calls you in to get you going. So as you begin to get going and you get involved, you start doing it. He is cultivating you, shaping you and molding you for what he really created you to do. You don't get to the top of the steps by jumping to the top. You, you got to walk up the step to get there to the top. And so when we come in, we're at the bottom of the step. And we're going to have to march up that step to fulfill God's purpose for our life. What qualifies us for the not yet, the kingdom to come? Faithfully living in the now. How are you living faithfully in the now? I feel like I I appreciate every one of you here. And I know God brought you here because he's doing special things in your life. And he's called you in the Christ-centered church to do some great things. Um, but I will tell you, moving into 2018, for three years since God established, a little over three years now that God established this church, you have been taught a lot of things in the word of God. I mean, some of us have even gone into CSTI where we're getting college-bound teaching, Bible school. And so we have been given a lot and I just feel like the way we're going right now is God is God is ready for us now to do something with that. And and you won't see me going any higher, any deeper in the scripture, because that's not what we need right now in 2018. I might be doing more reiterating of a lot of things than I am going to be going deeper until we start implementing. 2018 for us is going to be implementation year. It's going to be growing year. We're going to have to become a little bit more mature in God so we can begin to move this church. Not because we're trying. Please. Sometimes, here's something you don't want to misunderstand. 
Doing the work of God and saying we got to reach people and church got to grow is not a man's ambition. We think it's some, when you hear me say it, I got to get it out of your mind if it's in your mind. When I say this church has to grow and we have to reach people, it's not my ambition. It's the will of the Father. It's the will of God that we reach people. He didn't accept, let me tell you something. God established churches to reach communities in surrounding areas. And if we establish us and we sit here and be comfortable, we are not right because here is the story. You think it's only whatever amount of people in here tonight. You think that's the only amount of people in Hamilton, Trenton, Bordentown, Princeton, all around us? You think that's, you think us right here is everybody that's in this community and the surrounding area. Do you think that? Okay. Okay. So why do he put us here? Just for you to get saved? Just for me to get saved, that's it. And there's, there's, there's probably 500 million people all around here that needs to be reached with the gospel. And so if all we do is come in and hear a good word and apply 2% of it in our life, we're not doing the will of God. He's not Lord of your life. He is just Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides. He is just the lamb slain for your sins. That's all he is to you. He's not your Lord. If you don't hear anything I'm saying tonight, just hear this. We have to make Jesus Lord of our life and not provider of our life. He will take care of all the other stuff. You don't have to worry about it. That's the good thing about him. What he says in uh, Matthew 6 and 33, take no thought on what you may eat, what you may drink, what you've got to put on, where you're going to live. Take no thoughts for that. He's got that. He calls himself our father. He will be a no good father if we have need. And he says, well, too bad. So why are we worrying about stuff that we need? He's got us. All we have to do is make sure he's Lord of our life and do what he's commanding us to do. Just do it. That's very important. We will not have eternal life in God's kingdom just because we believe the right things and confess the right things about Jesus, that he is Lord. We can't just believe things and confess things. There are two. Remember, I keep teaching you that confession and repentance is two different things. A lot of people don't know that. That's a heavy one right there. Confessing your sins mean nothing. Other than you're acknowledging them. It condemns you because if you acknowledge it and you don't do something about it, then you're condemned. Because you're going to God saying, God, I know I've done wrong. Okay, what are you going to do then? So, yes, we got to confess our sins by acknowledging our wrong. But then we have to repent. And repentance is turning from that wrong that we are doing and start doing right. That's what repentance is, is to turn from wrong and start doing right. We will enter eternal life in the kingdom if we have had true saving faith that has been expressed by consistently obeying Jesus as Lord. That's the key. Obeying Jesus as Lord. Church attendance, very important. 
Can we miss sometime because something come up? Sure we can. But church attendance is important. Why? Because God commands it. Fail not to assemble yourselves. He says, especially you see the days of the Lord is approaching. So coming together is important. When you stay away from the body, you're being selfish. When you stay away from the body, he's not your Lord. You following me now that this Lord thing is heavy? He wants us to assemble ourselves because whether you believe it or not, and you've heard me say this before, I'll say it again. Whether you want to believe it or not, guess what? You encourage somebody. You are a blessing to this church when you come. You're a blessing to your brothers and sisters. And so when you don't show up, what you're saying is, I don't feel like going, I ain't going nowhere, I'm good. He's not Lord. You're not obeying him. You're doing what you want. And then you take away from the brethren. Because the body, the, the word of God says, the body has many members. And we need all the members for the body to function right. Cut off your big toe and see how you walk. Yeah. Go ahead. Even your pinky, cut it off and see how you walk. All the members in the body are needed for the body to function. Right, nurses? So when you don't come, you're saying, I'm just going to let the body function without me today. They'll be fine. Okay. Jesus not being Lord. He's, he, he created a body and you're telling him how the body is going to function. Not let him let the body function. I hope we get in this. The faith that saves is the faith that obeys. When you have faith, you obey. Nothing pleases God like the consistent obedience that flows from a true love for him and a desire to please him. Those of you that are parents, you want your children to obey you and respect you. Why are we having a hard time obeying and respecting God? Why is it so difficult in obeying and respecting God? Because you're grown? Well, he still calls us children. So I don't care if you 18 or you're 90. We're still children in his eyes. Where were you when I formed the foundation of the world? Where are all his children? He created us. All right. All right. Let me finish up here. We have to be careful here, though. It is not that we are earning our salvation by obeying by good deeds or obedience, but true faith and love for the Lord cannot help but be expressed through obedience. When you love somebody, you will obey them. Not, not, everybody got quiet on that? Okay. Don't worry, we got marriage retreats coming up in, um, in January, in February, because nobody give no amen on that. When you love somebody, you obey them. The Bible says, submitting yourselves one to another. It didn't say, husband, just control and rule. It says, submit one to another. So the wife can tell the husband what, what to do, and the husband can tell the wife what to do. In short, only those who have embraced the present kingdom will enter the future kingdom. That's what it comes down to. All right. Let me see where I am here, and I'm going to finish up and turn you loose. 
All right. The present kingdom will enter. The, only those who embrace the present kingdom will enter the future kingdom. This makes perfect sense. If someone spent his whole life spurning God's offer of relationship and rejecting God's will, the last place he or she would want to be eternally is where God will is perfectly obeyed and his presence fully manifested. And so Jesus says that in the end, he will tell those who rejected the present kingdom, I never knew you. You know the scripture where God says, that there were people that says, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in thy name? Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in thy name? And he's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. Just think about that. Just think about that. If these were people that were casting out demons, and these were people that were doing the work of the Lord, how can he say he never knew them? What do you think it means when the Lord says, I didn't know you? Jesus will tell many, I never knew you. In other words, I never truly had a consistent, intimate relationship with you, though I called to you and made it possible. Instead, you chose a life of habitually disobeying the commands of God. So depart from me, worker of iniquity. Receive in full what you always truly sought in this life, your own kingdom. So if we're rejecting God, when God is calling to us, or we, or, or we do this to God, this is the best. Men, men is the best at this. You know, you're walking through a crowd of people, and you see somebody you kind of know, just give them the head shake. So. Up. Yeah, we just sup. But we never knew them. We just give them the, the, the what's up. And so many of us have given Jesus that. What's up? Well, we come to church and we don't worship him. What's up? We come to church and we don't praise him. What's up? Come to church and we don't just give him all the honor and all. What's up? That's what we're doing. But when you engage in worship, oh no, it becomes intimate now. When you engage in praise, it becomes intimate now. When I begin to just dance it to the Lord, it's intimate now. But if I just come and do nothing, I'm sub. Without an intimate relationship with the Lord, submitting to His Lordship is not going to happen when we are tempted to sin. Here is where I'm finishing up now. We will not have the power to resist or the kind of love for God that produces a sense of loyalty to God that will make us want to resist. Love for and loyalty to God are what will lead to consistent obedience. Certainly not just a sense of duty to do right. So your love and obedience to God needs to be what drives you, not a sense of duty. I said this the other day, and pray, when you mentioned prayer for me, pray this for me. I don't want to become a professional pastor. I don't want to become a professional pastor where I'm just doing my job. Because it's easy for a pastor to get there. You know why? Because this is how it starts. Man, I'm glad I detected this early. It starts by, I want you to really live for God because I can see the potential in you. But all I'm trying to do in praying for you, in, in encouraging you, in teaching you, I don't see you moving. It's easy for me to say, you know what, forget these people. 
They, I could care less. I'm just going to do what God called me to do. And all I'm going to do is do my part. They can do whatever they want. I don't care. A lot of pastors got there because of what I just told you. It's not good to be in a church where the pastor's just like, whatever. I can't be bothered with them. They stiff necks because I'm trying my best to get them going and they ain't doing nothing. I don't want to ever get there. That is scary. Pastoring is not a job. It's a calling and a responsibility within a relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. That's, that's very important. And so we don't need to be in that kind of situation. So pray for me that I never get there. I watch myself with that. I watch myself with that. Pray for me that I never get to the place where I'm just, it's just a job. I don't care. Because that's important. And so cultivating our relationship with God through prayer, reading, meditating on the scripture, fasting and worshiping with fellow believers must be a top priority. Only continually opening ourselves up to the working of the spirit in these ways will give us the sense of his personal presence and the desire and spiritual strength to live as though he is Lord. If I do not, however, cultivate my intimate relationship with him, I will stagnate spiritually and most likely backslide, being in danger of hearing those fearful words depart from me, you that practice iniquity. So here's what I'm saying to you with all of that that I just read to you. If we don't make him Lord of our life and be a part of the kingdom, what's going to happen is we will not develop an intimate relationship with him. If we never develop an intimate relationship with him, we will fall short all the time because we won't have the spiritual strength to resist sin because we're not intimate with God. <laughs> do I go, do, do I got to go deep? All right, let me go deep for you. The husband or the wife that's not intimate with her spouse is quicker to go outside the marriage. And so it is the same thing. God always try to show us a relationship with him is like a husband and wife. So I give you two in one, marriage and God right now. If you are married, you have to make sure you're intimate. And that just don't mean, the, 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 you know what I'm talking about. It means just intimate conversation. My wife don't know this, but I tell her today. I tell her in front of all y'all. Somebody just died. I just got word that somebody just died. I used to date. And this is the first girl. She probably was a couple of years older than me. She was the first girl I heard introduce this conversation called pillow talk. I'm glad you asked. Pillow talk is before you get real intimate or after you get real intimate. That conversation you have laying there with that person that's pillow talk. And that make you do anything. 
I have counseled with many women I work with on my job, telling them stuff, God, and like, you're right, you're right, you're right. But they still never do what I tell them. And that's when I learned a long time ago that when they lay down with that man on the pillow talk deal, whatever's transpiring while they both laying down and having pillow talk, nothing breaks that. Oh, you can try it all you want. You know what I'm talking about. Nothing breaks that when two, when a man and a woman lay in that bed and they having that conversation low, nobody hearing it low, and they making all kind of promises and they talking about all kind of things. That pillow talk before and after the real thing, nobody mess with that. That's how stuff get messed up because pillow talk. And so I learned a long time ago, Lori told me about pillow talk, told me about pillow talk. Told me about pillow talk. And Lori died the other day. I won't be around for her funeral. I feel bad about that. But my point is, you have to get intimate with Jesus to be able to resist temptation. We fall to temptation because we're not intimate with him. We don't have pillow talk with him. We need pillow talk with Jesus. And when we get into pillow talk, now when somebody's trying to snatch you up, when somebody's calling your name, you say, uh-uh. Because all that's in your mind is the pillow talk. Oh, y'all ain't getting it, huh? Some get it. A lot of... T- what... What did you leave? What, what kind of impression did you, did you leave your spouse when you left the house? Now y'all want me to get it. Now I got it. I'm, I'm going to finish right here. I'm not even going to look at my notes no more. What kind of impression did you make on your spouse when you leave them home? We are guilty of it. But what I'm saying is, if you want your relationship to be good, make great impressions on your spouse Every day. So guess what? Let me give you a really easy one, Truby. Easy, easy. Your wife leaving out and you just step back and says, girl, you look good in no skirt. I'm on something else right now. So, 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 so you will say, girl, you look good in that skirt. I can't wait till you come back home tonight. And you leave that. All right. She leave out the house. And she's, you know, feeling good that day, so she got extra switch going on. And so she's switching extra that day, right? Somebody at the job's going to say, what's happening? All because now, all of a sudden now somebody want to say something that you done set up already. Because you, you set the stage. So now she's feeling good within herself. Here comes somebody trying to get your stuff that you just set the stage for. But because of what you said to her, it's easy for her to say, get out of here. I got a husband. That's what I'm saying when I say intimate stuff. Ain't always, you know, you know. So that's one way when I say get intimate with Christ. Do stuff with him in the morning. Read and pray and worship. You know, listen to Christ's things, Christ-centered music. So when you leave out and the devil tempts you, get out of here. I was just with my lover, Jesus Christ. I thought I made pillow talk clear, Barry. Okay. Right. I thought, but I, I thought I explained when a man and a woman is laying in the bed together and they're talking before and after. Okay. All right. 
right. I understand. That, 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 that's, that's probably what, that, 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 that's, that, that's probably what the, the, the issue is. The, 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 that's probably the issue right there. If you don't know how to do pillow talk, you're in trouble, brother. My Lord. Woo. <laughs> living in the kingdom of God is now living in is not living in sinless perfection and perfect obedience. We can't be perfect, but if we will stay intimate with God, the mistakes and the temptation that we give into will be very few. Very few. Not telling you can't be perfect. You can't, you, you're going to be perfect in, in just resisting every single temptation that comes. But what I am telling you is, if you get intimate with Jesus Christ through your worship, through your praise, through your reading, through your submission, through you just saying you are Lord, if you can do that, then the things that you will do wrong will be very few as opposed to if you don't do that, you're going to be in a bad position. Jesus assured us that the kingdom life is the blessed life. We are blessed with the promise that even as we enjoy his kingdom now, this is not as good as it gets. But our God is coming back again in glory. And when his kingdom is fully revealed, all things that are opposed to him will be removed. All things that brought hate and discord will be swallowed up in love and all that brought pain and suffering will be healed. So the bottom line is when he decides to reign, to rule the whole entire universe, he will. But as for right now, you can let him be Lord of your life and reign in your life and you will experience the blessed life that he has in store for you. The kingdom of God. Any questions? Any concerns? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Jesus.